Good morning, New Life Church. Cersei, how are you guys doing this morning? You doing good out there? It's great to see you guys. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I know there's probably a lot of you that don't know me. My name is Harry Bates, and I'm actually the campus pastor down over our Greater Little Rock campus. And I got to have a little bit of a hand in helping build your new building. I hadn't been here since since the grand opening. And uh, how, about, how are you guys enjoying having a little room here, huh? Man, it, it's so nice just walking back in here. It's just so cool to be in this building, and I'm excited for you guys, very excited. I'm also very thankful uh, for your campus pastors, Kevin and Robbie. They are very good friends of mine, and uh, I'll, I get to help with all the campus pastors around the state. I help Pastor Rick uh, just with all the campuses now, and uh, it's been a blast doing this, and I have to tell you, I, I've loved the friendship that Kevin and I have. You know, as I get to meet some of these campus pastors around the state, I mean, some of these guys, it's unbelievable the amount of talent they have. I mean, it's just like just oozing with talent. You can tell they were born to be a pastor. Now, Kevin's not one of them, um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Kevin is so talented. And, uh, but you know the thing I, I want to say, though, is more than his talent is, is how hard he works. He, he and Robbie, they work hard. They love being your pastors. I, I get to hear from him all the time about, about you. And uh, he's telling me what's going on in your life and uh, how, how much fun he's having being your pastor. And so if you love Kevin and Robbie Atkinson, let's just give them a huge hand this morning. Come on. I'm so thankful that they're getting to take a little bit of time off and take a family vacation this week. And so be praying for them that they have a blast and come back refreshed. And so anyway, well, look, here's what we all know, especially all the guys know. Uh, NBA championships going on, right? So I just want to get a show of hands right now. Uh, show of hands. Who's, who's rooting for the Cavs? Raise your hand. Okay. Who's rooting for the Warriors? All right. Who, like me, is hoping that both the Cavs and Warriors can both lose? Who, who's with me? Anybody, anybody there? I, I'm wishing they could both lose. I don't know how that's going to happen, but anyway. All right. So look, today we're going to be talking about, we're continuing on this series, Did You Know? And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is really important. Did you know that Jesus knows how you feel? No matter what's going on in your life, that he knows how you feel. And I, hopefully by the end of this, that you're going you're gonna to agree with me. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just jump right into the word uh, today. And so let's look here at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. I love this verse. It's a foundational verse for our lives, I believe. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are Yet, he did not sin. So here's what that verse says to me. That he knows how we feel. That he, he came down off the throne, robed himself in flesh, and he walked on this earth. He experienced everything we experienced. And I want to tell you what, we're about to look at one of his toughest days of his life outside of the crucifixion. Although he had some really hard days, here's what I do know. He had some good days too. All right, He had some great days, just like you and I have. You know the type of day like... Hey, guys, I mean, you've worked hard all day, and you walk in the door, and you smell a fresh-cooked meal on the table, your favorite chocolate desserts on the table, and you're just like, thank you, Lord, that my wife knows how to cook. What a great day this is. Or you walk in the door, and, uh, you know, you do something for your kids, and they actually say thank you. That right there, can I get a witness? That's a good day when they say thank you. All right? I mean, what about, you know, when the hogs beat LSU? That's a good day. I would even call that a God day right there. I mean, that's, that's really good, all right? Jesus had some days like this too, but he also had 
crazy days where he felt disappointment, loss, rejection. He had to deal with stress and pressure of demands just like you and I did. And so here's what I, what I want to tell you is when you tell God, I've reached my limit, he says, I know what you mean. When, when you tell him and you shake your head, at, man, these, these deadlines are impossible, and you're shaking your head at the deadlines, he shakes his head too. When your plans are interrupted by people with other plans, he knows how you feel. And here's what I want to tell you is, it's one of Satan's number one jobs is to try to convince you that he doesn't know how you feel and that he doesn't care about you. But I want to tell you what the Word makes it really clear in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It tells us this. It says that you can give all your cares and your worries to God because he cares about you. So when the IRS, you get a phone call that it, they're going to do an audit. When your child call, calls and says, hey, Dad, I'm okay, but does our insurance cover the other guy's car? When you get divorce papers in the mail, when the check bounces, when the police is knocking at your door, when you find out your best friend is moving to another city, here's what I want to let you know today, that Jesus knows how you feel. When you don't get the number of likes that you want on Instagram, I don't know if he knows how you feel. He would probably tell you to get over that one. But I just want to tell you what. I, I want to prove this. So here's what we're going to do. How do we prove anything as we look at the Word? All right? So here's what we're going to do today is I, I want to show you. It's interesting that there's this day in Jesus' life that we're going to talk about that it's one of only two days of His life that's talked about in all four Gospels. The crucifixion's talked about in all four Gospels, and the day we're going to talk about today is talked about in all four Gospels. It's found in Matthew 14. It's found in Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. So his baptism, his birth, his temptation, they weren't talked about in all four Gospels. But the day we're about to look at was talked about in all four Gospels. And I believe the reason for this is when you're having a bad day, he wants you to know, I've been there. I have been there. I get it. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to just jump right in. Let's, I want to walk you through this day that he had to endure, and uh, see what we can learn from it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 11 through 13, all right? So here we go. John the Baptist, his very best friend, his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body, buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So he's just fi finished his vegan breakfast, doing a little CrossFit, and uh, no pun intended there. And um, he finds out, all right, his cousin, his best friend, his forerunner has been beheaded, has been murdered. That's how he starts his day, finding out his best friend's been murdered. And the reason he's been murdered is because he's preaching about Jesus. This is how he starts his day. Some of you, though, you can relate to this. You've lost somebody that's close to you. You've got that phone call. You, you have been there when hospice came in. and you, you were by the bedside when they took their last breath. Here's what I want to let you know today, that he has experienced loss and grief too. He knows how you feel when you lose somebody. His world got turned upside down just like yours did in that moment. And this is why he's able to say this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he's able to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
The reason he was able to say that is because he lost John the Baptist. He did grieve. He did mourn. But here's what he knew is the Holy Spirit came in and brought comfort to him in his time of need when he was here on earth. And so here's what I can tell you is, is if you will allow it, when you're in that time of grief and mourning, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and minister to you like nobody else can. And I believe that He's going to comfort you when this time comes, if it hadn't already come. You know, even though He knew John was going to go to heaven, right? I mean, he, He's going to be there on Judgment Day. He knows who's going to make it and who isn't. And I hope that's a good day for you. And I hope it's a good day for me, too. And uh, He was still, it was a time of mourning. Some of you, you've been there, right? We've all been there, right? I, I've, I've done probably, I don't know, 75 to 100 funerals I've probably officiated. And I've been to some that were just, man, like just rip your heart out moments. I've also been to some that were actually, I have to tell you, as far as funerals go, they were good funerals. I've, I've been to some funerals, you know, some of those that were just like patriarchs of the faith. I mean, they were like 90 years old. They lived their whole life for God. Their whole family was around them, and they were like, you know, I'm ready to go meet Jesus. I see him. The angels are calling me. And then it's just like you knew it was their time. And those are sometimes good funerals to do. I've actually done some funerals that were a little crazy, too. Um, one time I was doing this funeral for a guy in Greater Little Rock, and he's, he's allowed me to tell this in the past. He said, all right, so I, I need you to officiate this funeral, but here's what I need to let you know is that my sister and my mom, they're a little cray-cray. They're like crazy. And so, look, you're speaking. I got another guy's going to do a eulogy, and I'm doing a eulogy, and nobody else can talk, especially my sister and my mom. I said, all right, I got it. I got it. Well, we're going along. Funeral's going great. Everything is just going perfect. Funeral is as good as it can go. And about that time, we get, I didn't look at the song list. And Brandon Chaswell, our, our lead worship director, He's singing a song right towards the end. It happens to be a John Mayer song titled, Say What You Need to Say. And about the time he sings the last verse, this sister jumps up out of her seat. I've got to say what I need to say. She sprints and grabs the mic before I can get there. And we had to listen to what she, listen to what she had to say that day. It included a few four-letter words that I usually don't hear at funerals. I mean, it wasn't a good day. Um, but we've all been there, right? Anybody been to a funeral that just, funeral gone bad? I got to tell you, I watched this the other day, a funeral that went bad. I want you guys to check this out. And my brothers, I heard David said the other day, Oh, if I had wings like this dove, for then will I fly away and be at rest. You're that guy. Oh, he didn't fly. <laughs> All right. So being serious again. All right, let's come back. All right, so being serious. In addition to hearing, the first thing he hears about is that his best friend is murdered. Here's the next thing he finds out, that he's got a death threat on his life. In Luke chapter 9, verse 9, it says, But Herod said, I just beheaded John. Who? Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. He was trying to make a house call to see Jesus, and it wasn't like to bring him a gift basket. He wanted his head too. He wanted to murder him. And so here's what I want to let you know. The second thing I want to let you know is he was rejected too. He, he knows all about rejection. Some of you, you know about rejection. He was too, but he knew it was coming. 
In Luke chapter 17, verse 25, it says, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So why, why did he allow the rejection to come? I believe so that you guys would know when you were rejected that you would be able to know that, man, my God knows how I feel. He, he has been there. Look, when you, get, when you don't get the promotion that you should get, and the buddy in the cubicle next to you gets it, let me tell you what, Jesus knows how you feel. When your best friend makes the basketball team and you don't make the basketball team, he knows how you feel. Even closer is when your spouse leaves you for somebody else or your boyfriend or girlfriend leaves you for somebody else. Here's what I want to let you know is he was betrayed by those that were closest to him. The very people that said, I'll stick with you to the death, they left him. He knows everything about rejection. He gets it. And I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than a bad breakup, right? I mean, I always remember the eighth grade. I mean, that was, I mean, I remember I broke up with my girlfriend. She broke up with me like 12 times. And that was in just the first semester. You know, there's, <laughs> I mean, that's just the way you go through the eighth grade. But <laughs> it's worse than when, when it's later in life and you're an adult. And so let's look at this. So after the murder of his friend, after being rejected, Wondering if his head is going to be put on a platter too. He tries to get away to a solitary place, right? I mean, he wants to get away. He's like, I need to grieve. I need to mourn. But before he can get away, let's look and see what happens next. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Okay, so let me set this up for you. Just a few days earlier, he sent his disciples out for the very first time. He's like, all right, I'm sending you boys out. For the first time without me, I want you to go do ministry. You're ready to go. Go do it. Well, they don't know that John the Baptist has just got beheaded, and they come back. And I mean, they're ready to party because of what has just happened. Like, they're so excited. They're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Peter says, man, this guy came. He's been crippled his whole life, Jesus, and I just touched him. And boom, this kid was up dancing. He was moonwalking after I touched him. John says, man, Jesus, I taught this crowd like a boss, man, just like you did. I was giving them the word, and they were eating out of my hand, Jesus. Andrew said, man, I delivered this epileptic man. He was having seizures all the time. He's healed forever. Matthew said, Jesus, this lady had been blind since the day she was born, and I just went up, and I just touched her eyes, and immediately she could see everything. And James said, man, the crowds, they were following me everywhere, Jesus. They wanted to hear everything I had to say, everything that you taught me. So here it is. He just wants time alone, right? He just wants to be able to grieve. And what does he get? He gets a surprise party. The problem is he, he's got to be excited. I mean, they're his friends. He has to be excited for them. So here's what I want to let you know. He understands when it goes from calm to chaos. Remember, he's enjoying a great morning. He's probably drinking Starbucks, listening to K-Love reading his morning devotional that he wrote, hashtag Jesus is the word, all right? I mean, he, he probably wrote it himself. And then all of a sudden, your friend's murdered, you're on the most wanted list, your friends come back and throw you a surprise party within an hour, and it's not even lunch yet. And look what happens next. Let's read this, Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through 14. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slips quietly away from them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them. 
He taught them about the kingdom of God. He healed those who were sick. And then late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples, they came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms. How about this? I mean, they, they haven't had a bad day. Everything's been great for them. And what are they doing? They're wanting to send the crowds away. What does Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, you feed them. They said, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. All right, So this doesn't include the children. It doesn't include the ladies. It doesn't include crazy, crazy cousin Eddie. It doesn't include anybody else. There's probably 25,000 people that Jesus is teaching. And he says, we got to feed them. So here's what I want to let you know. When... When you get that text message from your boss that says, hey, I need you to come to, come to my office, and uh, you've never gotten one of those before, and, that, and you hear the rumor mill, rumor mill is that there's going to be layoffs in the company. When you get a certified letter from your ex-wife that says, hey, I need more child support. When you get a call from your mom and she says, it's, the report wasn't good. It's cancer. It, it's not the good kind. When you get a call from the school principal and says, hey, we need to see you immediately. You need to come to the school. When your world goes from calm to chaos with one text message, one phone call, and just a moment's notice, I want to let you know, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He had to deal with it himself. He understands exactly what you're feeling. You know, for all you new dads out there, I want to give you a little tip today. So when you come in from work, and uh, you walk in the door, and you know, din dinner's on the stove, kids are running wild through the kitchen, and you know, you hear them over there, Mama, 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 come do this, Mama, come do that. She's trying to help them with their homework, and then she has all of a sudden this look in her eye. You mamas, you dads, some of you older dads, you know what I'm talking about, she's got that look. And it's that look, and you hear her mumble, if somebody says Mama, what, what do they say? One more time, if somebody says mama one more time, let me tell you what, dad, you need to get the kids and get them in the other room or you're going to be minus one by the next morning. Trust me. All right? That's like piranha hour around my house. All right? You, you, need, you need to get them out of there. Here's what I want to let you know is mamas, dads, he gets it. He understands. This is the last thing I want to tell you before we take a, take a turn and go a different direction. He understands and he knows the stress of life's demands. Let me tell you what, I've had some crazy days. Anybody had any crazy days out there? You've had some crazy days? But I don't know about you, I've never had a day this crazy. I've never had a day this crazy. A death threat, murder of my friend, teaching 25,000 people, feeding them. The crazy thing is, it ain't over. I mean, he, he's just finished feeding these 25,000 people with a two-piece meal deal from Long John Silver's. And now, look what happens next, all right? He, he gets away. He gets away up on a mountain. He's like, I, I'm, I'm going to get away. He sends the crowd away. He says no to the crowd. I'm going away. And let's read in Mark 6, verse 47, 48. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. And he was alone on land. Jesus was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to meet them walking on the lake. 
I mean, if he didn't have enough stress and demands already, these guys that had come back, they were all full of faith. He looks out on the water, and they're crying out like a bunch of babies. All their faith is gone, and they're like, Jesus, help us. you got to help us. And so what does he do? He's like, you know, I would have said, you boys, you're going to be okay. <laughs> I'd have stayed up on the mountain. But that's not what he did. He gets down in the middle of the night, and he goes to them. So here's what I want to let you know. When the boss walks in at 5 o'clock and you think you've got three more days to get the report and he says, I want the report tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., on my desk. And you stay at the office and you pull an all-nighter, he knows how you feel. Mamas, when you've been up all night long with a colicky baby, I want to let you know he knows how you, how you feel. When you're up waiting and your teenager is an hour past their curfew, he gets it. When you think you're going to have a restful Saturday and then your best friend calls and goes, the pipe just busted, my house is flooded, I need you to come down, and your Saturday is shot, anybody been there? I'm going to tell you what, he gets it. He knows exactly how you feel. Here's the interesting thing. Here's the thing I love about Jesus. He could have sent an angel. He could have sent a messenger. He could have sent some type of ambassador to come down to earth. Hey, I want you to go down there and experience it. You tell me what it's like and you come back. I love the fact that I know my God. My God got down off the throne. My God came down here and he walked on this earth. He experienced every single thing I could ever experience. He did it, except he took it to another level. He was willing to die the most excruciating death ever. And he did it for me, and guess what? He did it for you. He knows how you feel. All right, so here's what I want to do, though. I want to shift and go a different direction now. I hope by now you... you you agree with me that Jesus knows how we feel. But here's what we also need to learn from this day is that he didn't operate out of his feelings, but he was actually led by his convictions. Because so many times we, we allow our feelings to lead us instead of our convictions to lead us. But he was not led by his feelings. He was led by his convictions. Let's check out the three ways that I see here that he was led by his convictions. Number one is he treated those in need with compassion. All right, Mark 6, 34. All right, he's just found out his best friend was murdered, all right? He's just found out his best friend was murdered. He says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. All right, so had it been Harry Bates, it would have said, Harry landed, he saw a large crowd, he told him it was his day off, and that he, they could make an appointment later that week, right? Or it might have said something like, um, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and Harry told them to get out of his pasture and go back to their own pen, all right? And uh, don't look at me that way. You would have done the same thing. I mean, look, his best friend was just murdered. And what does he do? He has compassion on them. I'm going to tell you what, the best way to get comfort when you need it, sometimes is to give compassion to somebody i got to tell you, I want to tell a quick story, as quick as I can, about a friend of mine. He actually goes to our campus, and uh, his name is Jason Chrisman. And about 12 years ago, um, he had a little girl. Her name was Savannah. And uh, he got a call one morning. She was four years old at the time. He got a call from somebody and said, Your ex-wife and Savannah, they have been in a, a very bad car accident. You need to get to Arkansas Children's Hospital now. And he races to Children's Hospital. And somehow or another, within an hour or so, I, I get a phone call and a couple other people in his life group, we get a call. And 
we go to Children's Hospital and we, we get into the ICU and uh, get back there and it wasn't good. And I remember walking in that room and um, I, I knew unless God worked a miracle, I knew what was about to take place. And unfortunately, within, within the hour, myself and two people were standing there outside the glass Jason's in there holding the hand of his little four-year-old little girl, and they turn the machines off. And uh, within just a matter of minutes, her heart stops beating. She takes her last breath, and he watches his four-year-old little girl uh, leave this earth. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch. I, I, don't know how I, could, I don't know how I could watch a much harder thing than that in my life. And he comes out of that room... And, of course, he's, he's crying, and our, our, tears are, our, our eyes are full of tears. And we start walking out of that ICU room and down the hall towards the ICU waiting room. And, and our heads are down, and we're just kind of patting him on the back. And I'm just like, Lord, what is going on? And all of a sudden, he, he goes over to the right, and I look, and there's this lady leaning next to the wall, just leaning up against the wall with her head down. And he goes, ma'am? Are you okay? And she goes, well, my little boy is in there, and I don't know if he's going to make it. And he said, is it okay if I pray with you? And he prayed one of the most amazing prayers I've ever heard in my life. In my life. I, I just got through witnessing one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, and then I witnessed within a matter of minutes probably the most amazing thing, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. This man that was mourning and grieving all of a sudden is just, he's overwhelmed with compassion for this lady. I'm going to tell you what, here's what I know about this guy. He never got bitter. I know him to this day. He never got bitter. He got better. And it's because he had built his, his house on the rock. He was founded in the Word of God. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He knew the Lord with all of his heart. And instead of getting bitter... He just leaned in on the Lord. He leaned in on his friends. This guy, a few years later, ends up going on the mission field. He spent several years as a missionary in Guatemala. He's now come back to our church. I meet with him now, man, two or three times a month. He's in our school of ministry. He's going to end up helping us, a New Life Church, plant churches all over Arkansas because he allowed Jesus to come onto the scene. I don't know about you. I, I just feel like giving God a hand for that right there. Come on, let's give God a hand for that. Come on. Man, the, the next thing that Jesus did is, is that he made time to pray. He, he made time. Matthew 14, verse 22 and 23. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them... He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. All right, so the craziness. Several times throughout the day, he was trying to get alone and pray, but it was just like one thing after another just kept coming at him. Anybody ever been there? You know, you're like, I need some time away, and then it's just like, it just never stops. But here's what he knew. There finally came a, a time where he said he had to say no to the crowd, and he had to say yes to what was vital. I mean, this is Jesus. If there was anybody that could have gone without praying, it's Jesus. And he said, no, i got to pray. I, I need to hear from the Father. Sometimes we need to remember this. Remember this verse where he said, Blessed 
are the meek. All right, he didn't say blessed are the weak. He said blessed are the meek. The meek means you are focused. That's what being meek is. You're aware of the fact of what you need and what you don't need. Some of you, I want you to write this down. It says blessed are the meek. Here's what I'm going to tell you what. That might could be restated. Blessed are those who admit they are not God and they've stopped applying for his job. That's what blessed are the meek really means. He didn't stop and pray because it was a rule or a requirement. He stopped to pray because he needed Jesus. I mean, he needed God. He needed his Father to show up on the scene. i got to tell you, you know, sometimes we pray out of rule or requirement instead of out of need, right? I'll never forget growing up, my kids, I would always go into their bedroom, and my daughter, who's now in college at ASU, i got a son, he's about to start driving. I'm going to have two driving. Y'all pray for me. Um, please pray for me. I need it. So um, anyway, I remember um, we would pray, and I'd say, I remember my son, I said, all right, buddy, this is right after you start going to school. I was like, hey, I want you to pray tonight. And he says, okay. And we're, I'm sitting there kneeling beside his bed, and he goes, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. I'm like, hey, buddy, hang on. Um, that's what you say when you're praying over your lunch. <laughs> let's, all right. Let's, you know, I remember trying to teach him something, but all he knew was that ritual, right? That ritual that he had prayed in the lunchroom over and over with his buddies. You know, sometimes, though, if we're not careful, our prayers become rituals instead of something that is coming from the heart, out of a real relationship. I'm going to tell you what. There are times where we we got to touch the hem of his garment. There are times we need to hear from him. I'm going to tell you what. Here's what's interesting. Y'all remember earlier in, the, in this day... Remember when he gave the five loaves and two fish? What did it say about the five loaves and two fish? Here's what it said. It said, he gave thanks over the five loaves and two fish. Here's what I believe is, I believe in the middle of that chaos, he was like, I just want to say thank you, God, that you're getting me through this day. You know, sometimes that's all we can get is just a minute. I'm going to tell you what, sometimes we need to stop and do that. In the middle of the chaos, we need to stop and say, Thank you, God, that you're getting me through this mess of a day. Thank you that I know you are going to get me through. There's times in the middle of the chaos we just need to say, Come on, God, I just need you to show up for me. I want to tell you a very quick story um, that I read about, I heard about here recently. There's a national park in South Africa. It's called Kruger National Park. Some of you are thinking about Freddy Kruger and the Nightmare on Elm Street, but this this is a different one, okay? So Kruger National Park, they had an overabundance of elephants. And I mean, it was just an overcrowding of elephants, and they needed to move some out of this park. And so they, they've actually developed a harness to come and put and strap around these elephants. And they, I mean, it's the only way they can move these elephants. They would have to helicopter them out of Kruger National Park and take them to this other park. But here's what they realized after they started doing it was the harness was only big enough to move the baby elephants, the teenage elephants, and the mama elephants. The strap, the harness, wasn't big enough to to carry the weight of these massive, large daddy elephants, the big bull elephants. So they just moved what they could. They moved moved a bunch of the the adolescent uh, elephants, and they moved the mama elephants. Well, here's what they started noticing in that other part. After a few weeks, they started noticing there was utter chaos. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They started noticing they were finding these rhinoceroses 
that had been gored to death. They started finding all the other elephants. There was like scrapes and cuts all over them. And, and they, start, they installed cameras and they started noticing, man, these guys are like fighting with each other all night long. They were like, what's going on with these elephants? They thought maybe because they moved them or something. And so they started medicating these elephants, thought maybe that would help. They went and changed their diet. They, they had to bring in more, more park rangers just to, man, to try to keep the chaos down. They couldn't figure it out. And then finally they brought in a sociologist. And this sociologist, he showed up and said, you know what I think you need? I think you need to build a bigger harness, and I think you need to bring some of the, the daddy elephants here. I think that's your problem. They built a bigger harness. They flew in some of the big bull elephants. They said within 48 hours, order was restored. The chaos immediately became calm. It's amazing sometimes in the middle of the chaos, the only thing we need is the presence of the Father. We don't need, we don't need more drugs. We don't need more medication. We don't, we don't need more cops. I'm thankful for our police force, but that's not the answer. The answer is we need the Father on the scene. We need to invite His presence into the situation. And that's how order is restored. The last thing I want to tell you, and uh, we're, we're going to close here, is the third thing that Jesus did is He remained in relationship with and He made time for His friends. You know, it, it says He did get away and pray, right? He had to get away and pray. I mean, that's huge. But what He didn't do is He didn't go into seclusion. You know, so many times we have something tragic happen in our life or awful happen is, and sometimes we have that tendency, and I'll have it too, is and to go into seclusion. And, and Satan wins when we go into seclusion. Because when we get alone, he can start telling us lies, and nobody cares that Jesus doesn't care, that your friends don't care. Where was Jesus when you needed him? But when we stay close to our friends. They're, they're, they're able to keep our head on straight, keep us between the lines, keep us out of the ditches. So after, after just a little time alone, what did Jesus go do? He went to rescue His friends, right? Matthew 14, verse 28 through 31. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, he walked on the water, he came towards Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. Here's what I want to let you know is, Jesus could have stayed up on that mountain, and he could have said, peace be still. He could have stayed on the mountain, he could have made the water still. He could have stayed in seclusion, Still the waters, but here's what he knew is he needed to be around those guys. He needed to be around those guys. And he came down there, and he got back with his boys. He knew he had gotten alone. He had gotten the presence of the Father. He had gotten refilled. He got what he needed, and he knew then, though, I need to be back around the boys. And the other thing that we can really look here and understand is that when we feel like we're sinking, 
when we feel like we're about to drown like Peter did, all you got to do is call out to Jesus and He will save you every single time. He is just waiting on you to call out to Him. And when we feel like the demands and the stress and the pressure of life, the water table is just rising and rising, He's saying, call out to me. I get it. I've been there. But I am here to save you. So here's what I want to ask you to do. All over the room, I just want to ask you, I feel like just praying over all of you right now. And I don't know where you're at. I want to ask you to go ahead and bow your heads. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know if, if you're in the middle of the chaos, if you just came out of some chaos, or you know what, uh, you feel like you're in the storm now, or, or whether everything's still. But I'm going to tell you what, there will be a day where you're going to need to remember this. You're going to need to be comforted by the fact that my God, my God, He knows how I feel and He cares about me. And that He's going to save me. He's going to pull me out of this storm that I am in right now. So I just want to ask all over this room with heads bowed.